Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. So in general, public school teachers are not very well prepared to teach online. It's just not something that the public school system remotely considered. And to date, most teacher training and teacher preparation and professional development for that matter has really focused more on developing content knowledge, pedagogical knowledge, and even the technological knowledge that professional training has asked teachers to develop has been really focused on in-class instruction and face-to-face instruction much more than remote or online. And there's actually very few teacher training institutes that even offer training for remote learning. At the same time, many school districts have discouraged using technology for homework or requiring it outside of school because not all of their students have digital access. And so to be equitable, they've really tried to avoid that in many school districts and just provide it as enrichment for those that can and do have access. There's also very little professional development for in-service or pre-service training around how to design instruction for remote learning. So there's no instructional design there either. So we're seeing that most schools are scrambling to kind of triage training for teachers and also at the same time trying to quickly provide digital access to students and families, handing out devices or hotspots figuring out what the school day is supposed to look like now. Most schools do not even know the technical access of their families because they've never surveyed them. So they're trying to find that out and trying to do it by figuring out ways to connect with families that are difficult to connect with. So they're not well prepared because who could predict that we were going to have a pandemic, but it is an opportunity to be better prepared in the future. Online teaching and traditional in-person in some ways are very similar because the way that students learn doesn't change. We know from research that there's certain things that we need to have in place for students to learn. For example, learning is social. It's social whether you're online or face-to-face. Learning still happens best when students can reflect on what they're doing and they're using higher cognitive skills. Learning requires things like supports and scaffolds and differentiation. Those are things that we need face-to-face or remotely. However, online teaching does look very different and teachers have to change certain things that they do. For example, in the classroom, you can be much more tangential, you can be more creative, kind of off the cusp type activities that you weren't planning on doing but just decide to do in the last minute. Online learning can't do that. You have to be very explicit. You have to be very direct. You can't necessarily go off on different tangents. You also have to provide multiple modes for understanding and multiple means to take up ideas. Of course, you need to do this in the classroom too, but this is a lot more work online. So for example, if I'm going to offer a synchronous class through like a Zoom or a Google Meet, I can't assume that all my students are actually gonna be able to make that. 
So I also have to offer the exact same instruction asynchronously, which might include me spending time recording a class session or recording tutorials, putting in step-by-step -step instructions of exactly what to do, having visuals of exactly what to do. It can be very time consuming. And then also spending all that time to prepare my synchronous class. Creativity can be much more difficult online. And teachers also have to provide a lot more written and verbal and explicit feedback when you are learning remotely because you're not able to have quick side conversations with students in the classroom. You have to make sure that they have very explicit feedback. So everything that the students do, you have to provide detailed feedback. You can't just say, good job because you wanna make sure that the students are really understanding what they are taking up and what they're not taking up. The schedule also looks different. So students in synchronous or in an online class may meet up synchronously once or twice a week with their instructor for 30 minutes instead of six hours a day of straight instruction. So teachers have to learn how to provide their information in small increments and not see their students all week to give them time to work on things and to try to provide them with a schedule of work and breaks. So one of the things we know about online learning and virtual learning is that they can exacerbate some of the gaps that we have in education, unfortunately. I personally firmly believe that digital access is a civil right. And what I am noticing that maybe is a silver lining from the COVID pandemic is that now traditional schools, parents, and community members are becoming much more aware of the digital divide that we do have in our society. You know, we've always had a digital divide in access and know-how, but it's been hidden because face-to-face -face schools and traditional schools have kind of made up for it by providing more access in schools and less, you know, required homework digitally that's sent home. But now that children no longer have the school access, we are seeing, you know, public school teachers trying to do things like synchronous classes through Google Meet or Zoom, where a handful of their students are not showing up or not completing any of the online work or not communicating with them at all online. And it's just kind of a dearth. So it's becoming much more apparent who has access who has someone at home to kind of stand over them to help them do homework and who does not. Children not only need to have the access, so just giving them a device and a hotspot does not necessarily guarantee that they're still going to be able to learn and do the work. They also need to have a caregiver at home who is able to navigate the tools with them or able to be there with them to support them and to keep them on a schedule routine. And it's much more common to have this in a more affluent family than in a lower income family home. We are definitely seeing some statistics now that sheltering in place is a privilege for families and a luxury that more affluent families are able to do, whereas less affluent families, many of the family members may be the essential worker at the grocery store and they need to go to work. And then the caregiver is not at home to support their child or the child is busy looking after siblings so they don't have time. So definitely we're seeing the gaps amongst the low and the high socioeconomic status of families. And we will see that more in the fall if traditional schools decide to continue instruction and progress forward, there will be losses, uh, greater losses for students of lower socioeconomic status, unfortunately. 
there are a few concerns we have with students who are on individual education plans, IEPs. Students on IEPs have a federal right to make sure that their needs are met and that they have an equitable learning environment. Some of those IEPs include things such as having a parapro with them all day long to support them and other learning supports that you just can't do very easily through digital means. So those children are also being left behind. And we also are seeing problems for English language learners um, because not all classroom teachers are trained in working with English language learners. And so those children are also at risk because maybe things aren't being shared in multiple languages in ways that their families can also understand or other assistive options like that. The classroom teachers now have less issues around, you know, uh, classroom behavior management um, that they used to, but this really tends to fall then on the at-home caregiver to make sure that the children are, you know, behaving and doing their schoolwork. What happens is it puts a lot of responsibility on students and home caregivers to make sure that students are logging into the learning management systems like a Google Classroom or a Canvas and doing the work, but it also makes it more difficult for classroom teachers to know the day-to-day -day activities and needs of their students, especially if they're having trouble communicating with them. They don't necessarily know what they are taking up and not taking up. It's harder to assess them and figure out where they're at and what they need and how to differentiate for them. So the teacher has to find ways to create like uh, multiple check-ins, even just check-ins for their well-being, to provide lots of feedback, to do more smaller group rather than whole group instruction, and a lot more one-to-one -one interventions. And the responsibility for learning falls on the student and the caregiver, but the teacher still needs to reach out more than they normally would. Maybe they call home once or twice a semester. They need to be checking in every single week at home, making sure that they're finding ways to check in, whether it's a phone call or a text message, but also being careful not to overwhelm the families with too much. And also the teacher needs to check in with the caregiver specifically because the caregiver has kind of become a bit of a teacher and the teacher needs to be more flexible with their work hours and the student too, realizing that some students and caregivers might not start their learning until 5 p.m. and they'll have questions at 7 p.m. So the teacher needs to be accessible and available to that. And finally, the students need to learn more autonomy, as I kind of mentioned before, and also kind of how to set their own schedules and their own routines. So it's definitely changing the relationship, especially around the responsibility and the aut autonomy piece. I think as long as we have a digital access issue and digital access is not considered a civil right under the free and appropriate public education law, it will never be an equitable option for public schools. In addition to that, students still need human to human interactions for learning. As I mentioned before, learning is social. And while we have synchronous rooms, it is not the same as a human to human interaction, showing you what to do and being able to be there to answer questions just for you. And it's the most accessible. So while it would be great to say that it's, it's a, it's a cure-all for everyone, it's really not. So we want to be really careful about saying that it is. It really needs to be temporary. And what we need to do for the future is look at much more of a blended approach. And by this, what I mean is that from day one of the school year, making sure that our teachers are prepared to use digital tools that can be very accessible at home as well in school and do actual remote learning activities starting from day one. 
making sure that we're surveying families, finding out their needs and what they have access to. We know that most families have cell phone with SMS texting, so we should be using resources that allow us to communicate that way, send little activities home through text messaging, get families used to that so that if we do end up having to be home again, we will have everything in place so it's much easier to transition. It will also allow us to prepare for our students with IEPs and their English language learners, again, finding SMS tools that allow us to translate, that allow us to differentiate, that allow us to add supports. So I don't think it's realistic to have all public schools doing remote learning in an equitable way, at least not with how we are set up currently. But I do think that it's very realistic to take a more blended approach from day one and have things in place for doing some remote learning with students, but still allowing that face-to-face, human-to-human interaction that's so important for students and learning and their well-being. That research continues and has continued to point to blended learning as being the best approach, having face-to-face as well as digital interactions for students. The federal government has loosened up regulations around IDEA, and they are talking about loosening up regulations around the way that we fund schools so that we can do more remote learning. But we want to be careful because that could really create a lot more education gaps for our highest-need students, our most vulnerable students. So we, we want to really make sure that we are keeping our funding focused on our most vulnerable students and not taking away funds from them, especially in this particular space. And as for our teachers and our school districts, they really are doing the best they can right now. It's very, very difficult, but you know, keeping in mind that we want to focus most on our students and our families' well-being and their health. This is an emergency situation. This is not how most virtual schools work. And so we want to make sure we're checking in and finding creative ways to do that. So the lowest tech option right now is the best tech option even if that means, you know, making copies of packets and sending those home and then just calling families or texting them to check in. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.